be making your way, if we go to Acts chapter um, number 7, Acts chapter number 6, excuse me. I couldn't help but think about as they were singing that song. I love that song. I heard it a lot of years ago. I love the way they sing it. And I couldn't help but think about um, those lines where they speak of the rest, him bringing them to a place of rest, bringing us, his people, to a place of rest. Um, Thank the Lord when you can come to a place, even when everything around you seems to be even spiraling out of control, to commit it into the hands of the Lord. And rest in his peace. Now, the world doesn't get that. Hebrews chapters 3 and 4 begins in Hebrews 3, about verse number 7. The writer of Hebrews, whoever he be, he who hath ears to hear, let him hear. But um, he writes about rest, entering into rest, and even laboring to enter into rest. We find a rest as we live our lives and walking with the Lord. There's a rest. He took us all the way back to creation over there. He spoke about how God rested on the seventh day. On the Sabbath, he rested. The work was finished. He rested. It's a picture of the work of the cross. How that when Christ would say it is finished, nothing else to be done. No other price to pay. He was raised then for our justification. We are justified. The sight of God because of Calvary, the finished work of Calvary. He gave himself an atonement. He hath propitiated for our sins. And just as sure as God said, he looked at it and said, it is good. Then he said, it is very good. And he ceased from creation. And so we rest in him. There's a Canaan rest that is mentioned. It was one thing for the nation of Israel to get out of Egyptian bondage and cross the Red Sea. Sadly, the older generation had to die out in the wilderness. That's where most Christians, I'm convinced, will live their lives struggling, going around in that constant circle, begging of God, God blessing, and then they turn around before too long, they're murmuring, complaining again, nothing suits them. God called Moses off the scene, and now, now Joshua's the leader. And he takes them, not across the Red Sea, but across the Jordan to the Promised Land. There is a land of rest. There's a place of peace for the child of God. Doesn't mean the world doesn't hurt because it does. I was speaking to someone in their early 30s this past week that was asking me on the phone, said, why? They felt like, as the Baptist church has imposed upon them, they've done something wrong to deserve their struggles. Why? And I said, well, first of all, you live in an unfair world. Never will be kind to you. God's going to teach you to just rest in him. Canaan rest. There's one day a celestial rest, but it all begins at Calvary for the child of God. Calvary rest. We thank God. Thank you, ladies, for singing that. Acts 6. Let's stand together, 1 to 7. I know we looked at this a few weeks back. I told you a few weeks back. I don't know if we're going to do this every year. I don't know that we'll be ordaining someone every year in our deacon's election. But as we do, I'm sure I'll visit these thoughts again at times. But this will be different. Uh, of course, I'm going to cover several verses of Scripture in different places before we finish. 
I'll do my best to be brief. But uh, Acts 6, verses 1 to 7, And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands upon them. Thank you for standing. I like that amen over there. That's a good amen. That's the best amen I've heard all day. A little over a year ago, um, we had a men's meeting back here in the large Sunday school room. We were talking about the washout out here in the driveway as you go out the front door on the right. And then we were talking about trying to complete our drive back out to the cemetery in the loop out there. When we finished that, some men had done some legwork on some of it. And and so we we finally, when we got settled on what to do, I approached all the men that were there. We had a large number that day. Uh, I approached them about our need for deacons and how the Spirit of God had dealt with my heart in relation to it. And, and I want to say my, uh, express my appreciation to our men that day and also to our church for following in behind our lead regarding men serving in the capacity of deacons. You know, last year we selected three and set them aside. They've served well. And again, I express my gratitude to Jeff Shettles. This year that he becomes inactive, uh, doesn't mean he'll do any less, right? He always does whatever he's called upon, or if he sees a place where he can fit, um, he just jumps in and does what he can. Only trouble he has is out of his son-in-law, if you know him, anything about him. But uh, Brother Chris will serve another two years before he rotates off. Brother Jay Pruitt will serve another year. The next year he'll rotate off. We'll choose someone as a church body to go back uh, in his place. Let me just pause to say something right here of a main. A lot of what I've done the last couple of three years, I've done with, with the future of our church body in mind. Uh, God called Brother Marvin Ward out of this walk of life on a Thursday evening, suddenly, unexpectedly. I was sitting at the Bible Institute classes when uh, Brother Steve Parrish's phone buzzed. He didn't bring his phone into classes. But he did that evening. For some reason, he did that evening. And so he got up. He said hello very quietly, and he stole away. And the expression on his face, I was sitting at Envil. Uh, those of you familiar with the church on that side, most of the way back in the inside aisle. And I turned to see him when he come through and felt like I knew what he was fixing to say. And God could call me out this evening, tomorrow evening. And, and I want for you to be able to go on. A lot of times if there's divide in the church, it's good people on both sides of the divide. You ever thought about that? Good people are on both sides of the divide. And we don't want that. If we can take care of that and see that the church is in good hands. Um, and, and look, here's another scenario. My wife could get white, hot, mad, and walk out, and i got to leave with her. How about that? Then you need to do something. So you need some men. But let me just let me offer something that you could do. If that were to happen in this next 12 months of time, 
And the three men that will be serving as active deacons, if that were to happen, they're going to need to get together. And they may need to reach back and get Brother Jeff or somebody else and say, look, we need your help. Let's go to prayer. Let's get the men together. Let's get the church in conference. Let's go together. In all probability, in all probability, your next pastor won't get here the way I got here. And the next pastor won't have the same convictions altogether like I do. And the deacons can help in a situation like that where there's transition, help bring about peace uh, in the midst of a very trying time. That's part of the reason why deacons are used in the Word of God. There's only two offices. We have Sunday school teachers. We have uh, Warren and Lindsay. Uh, They work with young folk. Uh, We have singers. There's only two officers and only two offices mentioned uh, concerning the New Testament church. That's the pastor and the deacon. Now, thank God for Sunday school teachers and everything else goes along with that. There's only two offices. And in, in the early church, what normally would take place is there would be the public reading of Scripture. There, was, there would be the explaining of that Scripture. And there would be much, much, much prayer. And that constituted the gathering. And so if you don't have anything else, if we didn't have anything else, if we've got the public reading of Scripture, if we've got prayer, and we've got the expounding of Scripture. We're meeting and doing what we ought to do. But uh, these three men have served well, and, and we're, we're very thankful. I'm just going to offer some comments. going to turn to several places of Scripture. I'll offer a few more comments along the way. Now, just so everyone does know, uh, now, you know that deacons do not run the church, right? They just don't. Deacons are servants. As a matter of fact, the earlier deacons were referred to as table waiters, in reference to what takes place in Acts chapter 6, there were widows being neglected. They weren't being waited on, intended to. And so men were set aside, seven in total, were set aside to tend to them, to see to them. And I'll say what I said here a few weeks back to our men that will be serving as deacons. When there's someone in the hospital, get in the habit of calling or texting. Something takes place, make a habit of that. Cultivate that in your life. And as people are hurting as best that you can. But deacons were set aside to free up the apostles uh, so that they may give themselves to the study of scriptures in prayer and focus on what God has called them to focus upon. But deacons are servants. They're servants. I don't think our church has any issue with that matter at all. None of these three that have served over the last year have tried to be dictatorial. Uh, They've not tried to lord over uh, me nor the church, but they have been willing at every turn, when called upon, they've been willing uh, to serve. And you as a church body, we as a church body, uh, should be thankful for them. So the primary function of a deacon is that to work alongside the pastor uh, so that I might be freed up for, um, uh, to give myself to ministry. And it's also to help alleviate problems. Uh, deacons are not to be troublemakers. They're not to be the source of problems. How many of us have heard, you don't have to raise your hand have heard of in certain congregations, well, oh, so-and-so's been chairman of the deacon all these years. He thinks he runs it, and he's the source of problem every time there's confusion in the church. I mentioned Brother Marvin in a former pastorate. There was one man told him more than one time that uh, I'm here to keep you straight. I was talking with a pastor. I was talking with a pastor this week, and he said there was one man said the same thing uh, to him who's a deacon. And that can be a source of problem. But uh, when that happens, or if that ever happens, you just know, church, that when that bird rotates off or his ear off, don't ever put him back on. You say you ought not say that. 
I'll say it again just because he's sitting here. Don't put a dud back on. Anybody that serves the church in any capacity ought to have a less than attitude. You understand what I'm saying? Or to realize that God doesn't owe me anything. This church doesn't owe me anything. They don't have to give me anything. I'm here to serve. And if we'll keep a servant's attitude, we'll be in good shape as a church body. But the deacons help maintain church, uh, maintain peace in the church, as you well know. Now, let me say something else. I'm going to show you two or three passages of Scripture. Look, if you will, over in Titus chapter number 1. Uh, you're, you're very well aware I am sure, certain of it, but it's worth repeating that structure in the church body, just like structure in the home and structure in civil government, is ordained of God. It is biblical. It is ordained of God. Having some people for accountability in place is not a bad thing. And God has seen to it. Our pastoral epistles are three, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. As a matter of fact, if God doesn't change my heart, I'd love to take us through at least 1 Timothy when we finish with the book of Job on Wednesday evenings. I think it would do our church good. Um, you rarely hear any preaching or Bible teaching out of the book of 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, or Titus. Two things are prominent in all three of those books. Number one, sound doctrine. I have in a number of Bibles that I have preached out of through the years, I'm having the same trouble right now with this Bible that I've had with a lot of my Bibles through the years. Uh, right here, uh, there's, I don't know if you can see it from where you are. If you can't, you need to get you some glasses. Say amen right there. But I've got two books of the Bible I've preached so much out of in meetings, traveling, that you can just about take them out of my Bible. But it's a lot of work to move all your notes out of one Bible to another. And so I don't want to put this Bible uh, down uh, yet. But in all of the Bibles I've preached out of through the years, from the first Thompson chain my home church gave to me to the one that I'm using now, one of the first things I do when I pick up another Bible to use is go through the book of 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus and circle, then highlight every time sound doctrine or good words or good doctrine is mentioned in the books, in the pastoral epistles. That's a dominant theme, sound doctrine. You say, preacher, it don't matter what you believe. It do do it too. We were talking about some of the offerings at Camp Zion and another meeting, some of us this Past week in a restaurant after services, one was telling about some of the um, old offering services when Brother Percy Ray was still living at Camp Zion, told about how it just went on for hours. People just kept giving. And, and then we got telling some humorous stories out of it. And I remember one preacher uh, from right here in the area, and he wanted to give $25 in honor of his pastor. His pastor was standing there with him. He's a tongue-talking Baptist. Get a hold of that if you can. But he come to the mic. And uh, he said, I want to give $25 in honor of him. And he called his pastor's name. He said, you know, he don't preach no doctrine or nothing. <laughs> we knew that before he made the announcement publicly. <laughs> Sound doctrine and pastoral epistles in order. Order. God's a God of order. And I've known of some services across the years where you think we've had it seen at high times. I know some services where some men, some preachers who were highly respected, wound up in a different place of the sanctuary before the thing was said and done. But looking back, there's still order to it. The Spirit of God ordered the service. Let me just read two or three passages, if I may. Let me read a couple for time's sake. Here in Titus chapter number 1, look at verse number 5 uh, down through verse number 9. I'm talking about structure being profitable, structure being biblical in a local church assembly. 
verses 5 through 9. For this cause, he's writing to Titus. Titus 1, verse 5. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order things that are wanting. In other words, there's some, some errors in the church body there that are lacking. He says, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee, if any be blameless. And he goes on down through there. And then verse number 9, he says, holding fast the faithful word, there's your sound doctrine, uh, as he hath been taught that he may be able by, here's another emphasis, sound doctrine, both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Skip back over, if you will, to your left, First Timothy chapter number 3. Some of you have heard me say this across the years. Verses 14 and 15 in the book of uh, First Timothy chapter number 3, that's your key verses to the book of First Timothy. If you'll interpret each chapter in light of these two verses, it will help you to better interpret the book of First Timothy. Here's your key verses. Put your mark out beside it. Underline these verses, 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. These things write out unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. He's talking about orderly, being order. There's some things that ought to be done in an orderly manner. As a matter of fact, matter of fact, he'll even pick up in the latter chapters of this book with a widow who qualifies to be a widow indeed. And he'll deal with, of all things, he'll deal with the fact that, that a widow is to be seen to by her family. Practically speaking, we all know that. We live that, right? We see that. We witness that. But if she has no family and she's been faithful to the Lord and meets the criteria, it's incumbent upon the church then to take care of her. Dr. Harold Seitler who was used of God. He pastored Tabernacle Baptist Church for over 50 years in Greenville, South Carolina, White Horse Road. If you're going up uh, 85 into South Carolina, when you come to Greenville, if you look way over on your right, you can see the church. And part of what he established there on the church grounds was a children's home and a widow's, uh, widow's apartments. And Dr. Seidler, the church took such good care of him that uh, he preached nearly every week of his life. He'd come back, Brother Dana Williams. Next time you see him, ask him about it. I've heard him tell how Dr. Seitler, he'd come in, he'd just receive the offering like it was given to him, stick it in his two front pockets. He'd go into the church's secretary, uh, the church secretary's office on Monday morning. He'd stick them back in a pair of suit pockets, and he'd just he'd unload them, either that or on a Sunday morning. He'd just unload it uh, on the desk, and he'd ask the secretary, now, does that need to go to the children's home or the widow's apartments? And she'd say, well, we're running low, whatever it was, on buying groceries for our widows or or whatever, wherever the need was, he'd say, whatever's there, I ain't even counted. Just give it to him. And God honored that man's ministry for years. But that was born out of the book of First Timothy. Let's read these verses back over in the book of Acts again. And I've shared this with you back on Wednesday nights last year. We took two or three Wednesday evenings. And then a few weeks back, I gave you this. I'm just going to give this to you briefly. And then I want us to move to First Timothy 3. And we're going to turn to a couple of other places before we get through and I'll do my best to be, be brief, even with what remains here. But when you come here to Acts 6, 1 to 7, you see the purpose, really, these men were set aside. And there's no mistaking it. If these men were deacons, I, I know critical thinkers wonder sometimes if these men were deacons. They're doing the work of a deacon. If, if they weren't called officially deacons, they still are doing the work of a deacon. I personally believe this is where we find deacons in the New Testament church coming in. Two, in being of use for the local assembly. 
Now, problems had arisen in the membership. Verse number 1, in those days when the, num- when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. There's a legitimate problem there. And they need to handle that. There needs to be a resolution. And good news, the resolution came and sat beside them every time they gathered. These Grecian, these 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 Grecian, these uh, these widows, when you study the seven names of the men that's going to be set aside by the church, they too have Grecian names. And the complaint was coming from that area of the church, and yet right in the midst of it, there was the answer to their problem. The answer to our problem is when there's a problem that arises, not for two men to go sit on the parking lot while we have church. It's not for people to gather around after a church service and murmur and keep trouble stirred up. Are you listening to me? It is not to get on the telephone and complain. Look, when there are legitimate complaints, they need to be made known. Certainly they need to be made known, but they can be resolved. Can they not be resolved? Certainly they can be resolved. We have two precious young people that are about, young adults who are about to be married here in a couple of weeks. And they already are aware in their lives that if there's an issue, a matter that needs resolving in their lives, this Bible's got the answer for it. Now, the church needs to be of the same mindset, right? We are not a perfect church. Though, although you do have a perfect pastor, we're not a perfect church. And I'm glad you're in a pretty good mood. I, I'll just be honest with you. I've been gone so much. I am glad to be home and hearing those roosters crow uh, every morning before sunup. I'm just, and I'm glad to be here this morning. Though I've enjoyed and appreciated what God's let me witness through the, through the recent months. But, but look, if you will, the solution for the problem is found through the apostles' leadership, verses 2 to 4 in this, this passage. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, in other words, they had the church body here as best they could have it represented. They said, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. In other words, we don't need to focus on something that is secondary, though it's important. Then here's what they say, verse 3. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out. It's incumbent upon you to select these men. Look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Not all the business of the church, but this business, see. Verse number 4. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Then in, uh, you can go on down in verse number 7. You'll find that God's going to honor it. They'll follow the leadership of the apostles. God will honor that. Verses 5 through 7, he's going to add to the church because of it. Find your way to 1 Timothy 3, 8 to 13. Let me touch on this one more time very, very briefly. There are qualifications given for a deacon, um, given in 1 Timothy chapter number 3. These men who have served and the one that is yet to serve, they're not perfect men, and we should not expect them to be so. But there are some qualifications that are placed upon their lives There is some criteria. First of all, there's personal qualifications. Verse number 8, the Bible says in uh, 1 Timothy 3, verse number 8, likewise, he's just been dealing with the qualification of a bishop. And so then he moves in. He says, in the same manner, likewise, verse number 8 of chapter 3, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre. You know the word grave. You've heard me deal with it. You've studied it before. It denotes a seriousness of mind. The Bible says here he is not to be double-tongued. He's to be a man of integrity, consistent in his speech, not given to much wine. The verb uh, used here 
that carries with it the idea of being temperate or uh, being having his passions under control, uh, being being uh, words of self control, not greedy of filthy lucre. Wouldn't it be awful if we set aside a man who is involved in crooked, crooked business dealings? That's the idea, not greedy of filthy lucre. It's not saying they can't make a living, own a business, make investments, uh, gain monetarily, but not in, um, not in a, a manner that would be inconsistent to the Christian faith. In other words, we're not to beat somebody out of a dollar bill. We're not to cheat people. Um, we're not to use someone in order to gain uh, in, in our finances. Then there are spiritual qualifications, verses 9 and 10. Holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience, and let these first be proved, then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. In case I don't get there, being found blameless, he did not say being found sinless. But he writes here in verses 9 and 10, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure, con- uh, pure conscience. In other words, they simply believe what the teachings of the Word of God has to say. Verse number 10, a deacon must be observed by his church body. I differ. You may differ with what I'm going to say. We can disagree agreeably. But a lot of churches, when it comes time to ordain someone, they'll set them aside for 90 days and watch them. I'm of the mindset that you should have already been able to observe the men and their life. If you put me on trial, I'll do my best. I'll, I'll do, especially if I'm campaigning for office, right? I'll do my best. I'll put my best foot forward. But a man in a consistent manner ought to have already been a servant, faithful in all things. He ought to have already proven himself. And, uh, and I think these men have done so as, as other men in our church have as well. There's family qualifications, verses 11 and 12. First of all, concerning the wife, even so must their wives be grave, not slander, sober, faithful in all things. We covered these here a couple of uh, three weeks ago. In other words, she's to be faithful as a wife. As a mother, as a church member, as a believer of Christ. And, um, and I don't think anything else has to be said about that. I don't think there's any reservation in anybody's heart about this couple that is going to serve the man and his wife. And we're grateful for that. Concerning family, verse number 12, Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. Nothing has to be said there. Verse number 13, the Bible says, For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ uh, Jesus. They'll purchase to themselves a good standing, a good testimony, great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Here's what will happen across time. These men that we're setting aside, they will, as they serve as a deacon, if a younger man or another man is selected by the church to serve, in time, and he's misinterpreted what a deacon is there for, they can call them back to a good call him back to a good place and say, "Look, you see what I'm saying? If they'll use the office of a deacon well, look with me. You're in First Timothy three. Look at chapter number six. I'm almost, I'm almost done. First Timothy chapter number six. Most of you know that most of Paul's writings that he dictated." The Spirit of God moved upon him to write and to pen, but most of his writings was dictated. In other words, he would have someone by his side, and he would write to the believers at Colossae, grace and peace unto you from the Lord Jesus Christ, and that would be pinned down. Most scholars believe the next two verses that I'm going to read that Paul penned them himself. 
He did not ask a young servant to pin it down, but this meant so much to him. He asked for the writing utensil and penned these words. Look at it, 1 Timothy 6, verses 20 and 21. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely uh, so-called. In other words, what he's talking about there is is reasonings and ramblings. You ever talk to somebody and they say, why? And you tell them why, and they say, well, why? And they, he said, avoid all that. You're wasting your time. Too much work to be done. Verse number 21, which some professing have erred concerning the faith, grace be with thee, with thee, amen. And so these words, they are words of, um, they are words of intimacy between two men that are serving the Lord. Uh, they are words of, of urgency. Paul is saying, Oh, Timothy. It's the equivalent to the desperation that Paul cries out with in Romans 7. He said, Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? It's the same intimacy and urgency and passion that our Lord wept over Jerusalem with when he cried. And he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Timothy would recognize, no doubt, the penmanship of the aged apostle now. It must have drawn him in when he reads these two verses. Oh, Timothy. He said there's something of paramount importance. Verse number 20. Oh, Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. He's telling him to guard the truth. A lot of us think today what we're supposed to guard is our traditions. I mentioned Brother Marvin. We so loved him. Amanda wanted him to preach her funeral. Um, he built traditions that meant much to him and his leadership. The pastor you have now, being me, I'm building some. And understand this, your next pastor, God calls me home, your next pastor, uh, there'll be a different emphasis that he'll have in some areas. Let him have those emphasis. In 1 Timothy chapter number 4, Timothy's going to change across time. He's going to mature across time. And Paul even writes to that effect. We all grow and we do things differently than we used to do. And so, but he says of, of what all you do, you guard the truth. And the more we learn of truth, the more we should guard it. Look if you will, 1 Timothy 2, 2 Timothy, excuse me, 2. Look at verses 1 and 2. Paul's going to cover four generations here regarding truth. Watch this. 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 and 2. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Watch this. And the things that thou hast heard of me, there's Paul and Timothy, two generations there among many witnesses. He said the same, there's your key to what they're supposed to share. The same, just like you got it, you share it, the same commit thou to faithful men. That's a third generation. Who shall be able to teach others also? Four generations there. It's incumbent upon all of us to embrace and to marry truth. There was a time, I understand, I don't know that I've ever truly witnessed this, I guess, by and large in a community or our society. I understand there was a time before my generation where men could have a, uh, men could have a disagreement. And one could say to the other, um, well, you know, the Bible says. And the opposing party would say, no, wait, wait a minute, the Bible says that? And the man would say, yes, the Bible says and he would say, can you show me that? 
And if he could prove it from the Bible, the man would back up and say, well, I'm sorry, I didn't know that. If the Bible says that, then I'm sorry, I was wrong. What the Bible says matters to us here in our church and should always matter in our church. Now, we've learned through COVID, have we not? We can lose a lot of things. We can do a lot of things differently. You don't have to meet in four walls as a church body to have church, right? We learned that. We learned you don't have to pass offering plates to take an offering. We've learned a lot of things. We've only recently started our fellowship song back. I'm glad we did, for one. I think it's helped our service. But you don't have to have that in order to have church. Have to have to have that in order to have church. But you do have to have the truth. You've got to have the truth. And uh, but garden tradition—that's that's not what we're all about, right? You don't have to have a revival a certain week of the year. You don't have to have VBS a certain time of the year. Uh, there are several things. I come up and would, would ride with older preachers that I looked up to to Bible conferences. I'd take a notebook and pen. I just thought, man, I'm like a kid in a candy shop, and I'd take notes, go home. That'd be what I'd study from for some time. And, uh, I, but I, I, I grew up uh, listening to older preachers. They'd fuss at us preachers. If you wasn't wearing a white shirt on Sunday... You wasn't living for God. And if you didn't have a black-bound Bible, uh, you, you were in sin. Mine's blue. I intend for it to stay that way. We have strained at a gnat and swallowed a camel regarding tradition through the years. Some think if you don't sing out of the old red-back hymnal, and I like it. That's not the hymnal I'm talking about that I'm referred to now that we have. I like the old red-back. I love those old songs of the faith. But you can sing out of a different songbook and still meet with God and worship as God's uh, people. Well, look, if you will, at verse number 20. Not only does he say guard the truth, but he says ignore the chatter. Verse number 20. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. Watch this. Avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely uh, so-called. He's talking about empty chatter. As a matter of fact, that word babbling can carry with it the idea of chatter something that's pointless and fruitless. And, uh, and I want to say this to Brother Johnny. I said this to Brother Chris, Brother Jay, and Brother Jeff last year. Somebody probably will call you in days to come and say that they have a concern. If it's a legitimate concern, hear them out. Hear them out. Try to resolve the problem. But somewhere across time, somebody's going to try to see if they can get you in their pocket. And you'll do yourself... And this church a favor if you can stop that on the front end. People who call people with their complaints, they call the individual or individuals they call because they can. Some of it is idle chatter. Always keep this church at your heart. Try to resolve the problems. But always keep this church uh, in your heart. Galatians chapter number 3. Let me just read. You don't have to turn there. Galatians 2, excuse me. Verse 3 through 5, listen to what Paul said. The book of Galatians is all about liberty in Christ, and there were the Judaizers that wanted Gentile believers. Um, they felt like it was incumbent for them to mirror Judaism and the legal, the legal aspect of it. And Paul writes in the book of Galatians to combat that and show liberty and rest found in Christ. Listen to this. Listen to how Paul responded to that bunch. Galatians chapter number 2, verses 3 to 5. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And that because of false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privately to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. 
There's a lot of that, friend, that's bringing us into bondage. Verse 5 says, to whom we gave place by subjection. Listen to what he says. No, not for an hour. He said, didn't give them the time of day. Didn't give them the time of day. And I hope you understand what I'm saying when I say that. But these men, they are servants. Certainly they are, as are many of our men in this church. Paul says, keep that which has been committed to our trust. And then he says in that last verse that we read a moment ago, he tells Timothy to be graceful. Guard the truth, ignore the chatter, and be graceful as you serve the Lord. In other words, we preach on the grace of God. We should show some grace, shouldn't we? We preach on the love of God. We should show some of that. We should display that in our life, in our service to the Lord. You'll find way back over, and I used this last year on the Sunday that we set aside the three men we did last year. Ezra chapter number 8, Ezra's down by the riverside. He's fasting and he's praying about how to make the move out of exile back into the homeland. And you remember what he did. He took the gold, he took the silver, he took all the precious items, and he weighed them. And when he got home with it all, they waited again to make sure that what they started out with, they still had at the end of the journey. And it's incumbent upon our church to do just that. When we hand it off to another generation, um, we should have set a good example. Truth should have been paramount. The gospel should have been preached, and it should be preached to the next generations that are to follow. Then when we go home, we should, as far as our church is concerned, in preaching and teaching truth, we should be able to hear, well done. Well done. You did what I asked you to do. Thank you for doing so. This thing's bigger than my feelings and your feelings, right? This is the work of the Lord. It's the most important work on the face of the earth. It is the work of the Lord. I want to close with something similar to what I closed with last year on this particular Sunday. In 15 years from now, I was thinking about it again, looking over my notes from last year. In 15 years from now, the year will be 2037. How many of you, let's do vote on it. How many of you can look back and say the last 15 passed by quickly, went by quick? It did, didn't it? It has, hasn't it? The next 15 will too. If I'm living in 15 years, I'll be 71 years old, 15 years. In 15 years, a young man, 15 years of age in this church will be 30. And I'm not a betting man, but I'd almost be willing to wager he'll have a family of his own. And very well may be sitting in the church pew right here. A young 16-year-old girl in our church in 15 years, she's 31 with a family of her own. It matters what we tell them about creation. It matters what we tell them about the gospel. It matters how we conduct ourselves before her. She's going to want her children taught and her grandchildren taught as well. Can I get an amen? I want to just digress from the message just a moment. I want to tell you something. Uh, we've, we've spoken the last couple of Sundays in the prayer room uh, about the condition our nation is in. And uh, I, believe it's, I believe it's Jay Pruitt asked, you know, what do we do? What do we do? You know, all of us have these uh, elections that's gone on. I don't spend a lot of time on that sort of thing. Uh, the reason why I don't is because I don't want to neglect where we're at. If we'll get the word of God in our heart, we'll know real from counterfeit, right? I don't have to give you a Fox News update every Sunday. 
You get that at home. But you do know we are in a tough situation in our country. We didn't just get here. We're just now seeing it. We're in a tough place in America. I was telling them, whether you agree with him or not, John MacArthur out on the West Coast, when, when all the persecution they thought they would bring in on him dissolved, one of the reasons why it dissolved was years ago he'd go to the pulpit and he was preaching in a particular area of the book, uh, of the Bible uh, book, and he encouraged his people who were, who were well-abled to pray about and if they saw a place where they could serve in public office to run. The lead officer that was charged with, if need be, arresting him was a member of that church. And he told the mayor, he said, that's the last thing I'll ever do is arrest John MacArthur. He said, he's a Bible preacher, and I'll never arrest him, nor will I carry those orders out. He had other men, council members and all, that serve in local government. This past week, out in Taylorsville, where I was, three weeks, two weeks ago when I was out there, I knew Brother Steve's uh, oldest son was running for school board. Another man named Matthew Reese, Josh Dagenhart, we call him Dags. Um, Matthew Reese, fine young man, was running for school board, and then there were others running for school board. The top three vote-getters were Dags, Matthew, and another brother of a local church. You know why they felt compelled to run for local office? It's because outside a third or fourth grade classroom, they had set a dog bowl with water and a dog bowl with cut-up sandwiches or whatever. There's a young lady starting to identify now as a dog. And the school board, the three members of the school board that were voted off, were voted off because they said if she thinks she's a dog, then she's a dog. She's not a dog. She's a little girl. She needs some help. If she truly believes that, she needs some help. The Bible recognizes two uh, genders, male and female. And you are the way God made you. Like that or don't like that. If you protest that, you protest God and Christianity 101. Our government recognizes 70 different genders. That's the day we, in which we live. So I want to say this. Brother Steve went to, the, went to the pulpit way back months ago. And he said, look. I keep hearing everybody complain. He said, why don't some of y'all pray about running for some of these local... They voted their sheriff out. And voted in a conservative man that's well-respected in the community. And I'm going to tell you, church, I've digressed from preaching right here. And on a bit of a hobby horse, which you rarely hear me do. But some of you might want to pray about. If you could serve in a capacity that could make a difference, pray about it. I'll support you. I think our church will support you. Instead of us complaining the way we complain, we need to go to God in prayer, much prayer, everyday prayer. We're no better than God's people in previous generations. When they would reject God and quit standing up for what was right, God would give them what they wanted. And then in their misery and affliction, they'd cry out, God would send a deliverer. Some of you might ought to consider that. Some of you might already consider that. And all God's people said. Miss Angie, would you come to the piano, please?